you're taking your seats, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Well, I need to let you know as we start this morning that we're not going to be staying long in any one text. We are going to survey across the spectrum of God's Word. We're going to allow the eyes of our hearts to be informed by the main theme of the Scriptures this morning. And what I want to do is start here in Romans chapter 11 at the end of the chapter in a place where we would commonly end our service. A passage that we would commonly see as a benediction, and I just want to reverse it this morning and and lay it down as the cornerstone as, as we begin to lay the foundation of looking at Scripture this morning. I want to read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. So look down at God's Word and let's look together at what the Apostle Paul writes here. Verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Now here it is. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. That is the theme of our message this morning. That is the last of the five solas that we've been looking at in in our study on the great theological truths of the Reformation. The Reformation began 500 years ago from this year where Martin Luther posted his 95 theses against the sale of indulgences in the Roman Catholic Church and and he was opposed to what they were teaching, the truths that they were putting out there and leading people astray with and, and he wanted to recover the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ as seen in the scriptures. And we celebrate that that God used this man among many other men to bring to light what what wasn't completely lost. Martin Luther wasn't Uh, inventing any new doctrines. He wasn't inventing any new theology. He was just shining a spotlight on what had always been there and yet had been darkened by the Roman Catholic system. We've looked in our series so far at sola gratia, sola fide, solas Christus, and sola scriptura. And we've seen that a true relationship with Jesus Christ can only ever come through grace alone through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone. And what we've seen all throughout and what we're going to see today emphatically is that all of this is to the glory of God alone. It's been said that soli deo gloria is the glue that holds all of the solas together. It's, it's the center that draws the other solas into one grand unified whole. For this reason, soli deo gloria is unique among the solas. It's also unique because while the Roman Catholic Church would vigorously oppose and pronounce as anathemas upon the teachings and teachers of the other four solas, they would never have denied that all glory was for God and God alone. 
This leads some to ask the question, well then, does soli deo gloria, magnificent as it is, biblical as it is, really have much specifically to do with the Reformation? The answer is a resounding yes. Why? Well, for this reason, because even though Rome wouldn't condemn the idea of God alone receiving all glory, in denouncing the other four solas, they in effect, without officially stating it, also have to denounce soli deo gloria as well. See, if you deny grace alone, effectively you are glorifying human will. If you deny faith alone, you effectively glorify human works. And if you deny Christ alone, you are effectively glorifying other people. And in denying Scripture alone, you glorify human wisdom. If, if Roman Catholic doctrines of salvation and authority are true, then all glory simply cannot belong to God alone. One historian looking back at the Swiss reformer John Calvin said, for, for Calvin, the issue first and foremost was not the, the well-known sticking points of the Reformation, things like justification, priestly abuses, transubstantiation in the communion, prayers to the saints, papal authority. It was what lied beneath all of these that was the fundamental issue of the Protestant Reformation and it was the centrality and supremacy and majesty of the glory of God. Glory for God alone was paramount in the Protestant Reformation and rightly so because listen, God's glory is paramount. Period. It was paramount To the reformers, it drove everything that they did. God's glory drives everything that God does, and so God's glory needs to drive everything that we do. You know, we sing a song. We we didn't sing it this morning. We actually sang it last week, but I couldn't get it out of my head this week. It's a song called Found in You, and I just want to share some of the the lyrics. You're going to recognize these because we sing this song often, but um, here's just a a few sample lyrics from that song. Flood our thoughts with wonder and awe. We, we make that request to God in song. Flood our thoughts, God, with wonder and awe. That, that we would see like never before. You remember singing that last week? That we would see like never before. Give us a greater glimpse of a never-changing God. Listen, do you, do you believe that on any given Sunday morning, God can answer this prayer. God can give us a glimpse greater than before of himself, of his glory today. Here in in December, in 2017, God can open up our hearts. He He could flood our minds with wonder and awe. You need to believe that that's true today. Listen, my my goal this morning is to overwhelm you with the weight of the glory of God. So that just as the reformers saw and responded to his glory, you too would behold his majesty and live accordingly. And like I said, we're going to look at a a number of verses and passages together. And the first thing I want you to see is this, that God's glory is paramount in his revelation. God's glory is paramount in his revelation. When God reveals Himself, He is revealing who He is, who He has always been, and who He always 
will be. God's glory is inherent to God's nature. One of God's many titles is the, the God of glory. That's how he's described. He is the God of glory. God's glory, it's been said, is the manifestation of his person and his presence. And so when we think of God revealing his glory, we need to think of the shining brilliance of his beauty. We need to think of his incomparable worth, his majestic exaltation. We need to think of the absolute perfection of all his attributes. That is the glory of God shining forth. God reveals his glory in many ways, one of which being in the world that he has made. God reveals his glory in the world, the the internal glory that God has possessed from eternity past. God in time and history reveals externally to his creation and in his creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When we look at the stars at night, when when we look through a telescope and we see things that we didn't even think were possible to see, God's design in all of it is not that we would look at the stars or the, the sun and the moon and say, wow, what glorious things. No, what glorious God who must have created these things. And the same thing is true of, of things all in our world around us. When we look at the, at the mountain with, topped with snow, when, when we look at the, the great depths and the breadth of the seas, when we look at the rolling green hills, when we look at all that God has made in this world, it is all intended to magnify His glory. Romans chapter 1 says that through the things that have been made, we can discern the divine nature. Furthermore, God has revealed his glory by appearing in a cloud. If you remember back to your Old Testament history as God appeared to Moses and to Israel, you, you will remember the cloud that said, was, was said to have contained God's glory. God called Moses up on the mountain. And you might recall the thunder and the flashes of, of lightning and the rules to not even touch the mountain for anyone else because God's glory had appeared there. And he called Moses up on the mountain and and he veiled his glory in a cloud as he spoke to Moses. And Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see the face of my glory and live. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'm going to pass by you And I'll declare my glory in words to you, describing who I am, and then I will allow your eyes to see the afterglow of my glory. And even just the afterglow left Moses' face shining so bright that he had to put a veil on when he went down the mountain to address the Israelites. While he was up there, God was telling him about the tabernacle and all all the instructions for what to do for God to come and dwell among his people. And they did just that at the end of Exodus. It says that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Israel knew that where the cloud was, there was God's glory present among them, even though they couldn't quite see it in its fullness. Some years later, Solomon built a temple, a more permanent dwelling place for God. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And there's a special room called the Holy of Holies, and no one could go in there but yet the high priest, and only at that once a year, into the presence where God's glory dwelt. God revealed His glory to Israel in this cloud. God also reveals His glory in His Word. The whole Bible, if properly understood, shows that this divine purpose is to communicate and display the glory of God. That is the intention of this book that we hold in our hands. First and foremost, primarily, to show us the glory of God and God alone. Page after page, from beginning to end, God continually reveals that all glory belongs to Him. And uh, I didn't have time to read every book of the Bible this week, but uh, it, just, it seems to me that virtually any prophet who wrote down the inspired Word of God has much to say about the glory of God and that the glory that God possesses belongs to Him and Him alone. Let's just take, for example, the prophet Isaiah. In, in the book of Isaiah, we read that God commands all the earth to give Him glory. It also says that the glory of God is to be revealed in the last days. Isaiah also says that God created all of His people for His own glory. And it says that He will not give His glory to another. He's the only one. Glory belongs to Him alone. This is the faithful, repeated witness of the Scriptures. Over and over and over again, God in His Word reveals His glory and proclaims that it is unique to Him. By the time we get to Ezekiel's prophecy, we read of God's glory in the cloud departing from the temple of God, leaving the presence of God's people. Can you imagine the void this would have left among the people of God after all of these generations having the glory of God there with them in the cloud to see it up and leave because of their disobedience, because of their rejection of Him, their refusal to praise His glory. And now they would be without the, the manifestation of God's glory and they would long for the return and the, the prophets, the latter prophets, would tell of a day when the glory of God would come again and be with His people. And they must have been expecting the cloud to return. They must have been thinking that one day the cloud would reappear and they again would be in the presence of the glory of God. But what they didn't know, what, what was a mystery to them now revealed to us is that the next time God's glory would be seen in the world would be much different. wouldn't be in a cloud or an earthly temple, but in His promised Messiah. God would send His glory into this world in His Son, Jesus Christ. And even the announcement of His arrival was attended to by great glory. We, we sang about it this morning in one of our songs I want, I want us to look. Go turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. 
I want us to look at a familiar passage this time of year, but here's what I, here's what I want to do is I, I want to ask you to even right now as you're turning in your heart, pray to the Lord that He would remove any and all familiarity of this passage from you, that, that you would see it with fresh eyes, that, that you would see, like we talked about, like never before, God's glory in His Word this morning through this story that many of us have heard time and time again. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. We'll stop there. This is a night like any other night. Shepherds staying up, keeping watch, making sure that the animals are not running off. No doubt these shepherds were probably cold and hungry, tired, waiting for the the morning or the next watchman's turn. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, after hundreds of years absent, look at verse 9. It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. I guess so. The blazing glory of God right there in their midst. It says that they were filled with great fear and yet the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The long-expected One is here. The glorious Messiah has arrived, the angels announce. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. We'll come back to that. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he, has, he is pleased. Glory to God. That is the angel's anthem. You know, this Christmas season we're going to sing more songs. We're singing them in our home with our kids. We're singing things like glory to the newborn king. We're singing the glories of his righteousness. We're singing glory to God, all glory in the highest. Would you just resolve with me right now that this season as we sing those songs, we wouldn't just do so because it carries a nice melody or because the words are put up on a screen and we're supposed to. Would you sing the glories of God with fresh eyes this year? The glory of God came to this world in the Son of God. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the author says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. When we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God. He has some titles too, doesn't he? And one of them is the Lord of glory. The scripture says that his miracles manifested his glory. Matthew tells us that he was transfigured 
one day on a holy mountain and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light as Jesus gave Peter and and John and James just a foretaste of his heavenly glory as as he pulled the veil back to, to show this is who I am. The glorious one from heaven. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John goes on later in his Gospel to tell us that when Isaiah saw the Lord, remember Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord sitting on His throne and he heard the seraphim call out, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. John tells us that that day, Isaiah saw Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of the glory of God. And there's no one like Him. There's no one like Him. His glory is His and His alone. God's glory is paramount. In his revelation. Next, see that God's glory is paramount in his reconciliation. God's glory is paramount in his reconciliation. And I want you to turn to John chapter 17. And we're going to look for just a minute at Jesus' prayer in the upper room before he was going to leave and march into certain death. He called upon the Father and Beginning in verse 1, we read these words. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' accomplished mission. To come and save sinners is the brightest display of God's blazing glory. That the Son of God wouldn't grasp onto His eternally shared glory with the Father, but would humble Himself to come as a servant, to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. Listen, all of this actually served to magnify all the more His unworthy, sorry, unparalleled praiseworthiness. In the Gospel of Reconciliation, we see both the the glory of the lion and at the same time, the glory of the lamb. It's here that God shines forth the spectacular splendor of His glorious meekness, His glorious mercy, His glorious generosity, His, His glorious sacrifice. All aspects of His glory, His attributes that we wouldn't otherwise known No, apart from from Christ Jesus coming to die and to be raised again. This is so spectacular. This 
this is so awesome and wonderful, we can't really even fully comprehend it. I have to share this quote with you. One writer said this, Human language fails us if we try to describe this supreme paradox. The divine glory now manifest in profound humility. It's a truth that faith believes and the tongue confesses more than the mind understands. John Piper says this, he says, this was the greatest love that had ever been shown in all history because the greatest person made the greatest sacrifice for the greatest gift to the least deserving. See how this puts God's glory on display like nothing else? That the, that the glorious one we've been seeing would humble himself to the point of, of death, even death on a cross for us. Who the scriptures say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, you and me, could never attain to the glory of God, could, could never praise the glory of God like we ought to. And we're, we're all deserving of just punishment, God's, God's glorious justice. And yet, in our place, He sends His Son. He exalts Himself by being lifted up on a cross. Revelation 5.12, this is the song going on in heaven. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Coming to understand the glory of God as seen in Christ's humble work of reconciliation is what changed everything for Martin Luther. See, up until God opened his eyes to this glory, Martin Luther had a totally different view of God's glory. He saw God as the glorious judge, perfect in holiness, and only able to then condemn sinners. How could anyone be right with God, Luther asked, when he's so glorious and, and we're not? Well, God revealed the truth to him, and, and, and Luther wrote, it's not sufficient for anyone, and it does him no good to recognize God in his glory and majesty unless he recognizes him in the humility and shame of the cross. To confess solely Deo Gloria is to proclaim that He alone has worked this great work of salvation. This is what the reformers were after. God deserves all the glory alone. The relationship that we enjoy with Him magnifies His glory. He did it. He did what we could never do. It was all by His grace. That's why Ephesians again and again says, to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glory. It's all to the praise of His glory. This is why the good news of reconciliation is called the gospel of the glory of Christ. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The gospel here is called the gospel of the glory of Christ. 
chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, in their case, referring to those who can't see the glory of God in, in Christ Jesus, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, sorry, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. God opens up our eyes that we can see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And it's the same as the, as the glory of God. Did, did you see that? God's glory is seen in the face of Christ and, and Christ's glory reflects the image of God. It's one and the same glory. And we are forever changed when we see this glory. We're no longer enemies, but at peace with God. Made a new creation, Paul will go on to say in chapter 5. But I want to read another verse from you from Romans. I think it's going to be up on the screen. Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Listen, if you placed your faith in Christ Jesus, you died, your old man died with Him. In order that, it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God gloriously raises His Son and He raises up believers in Christ Jesus as well to walk differently. To behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and to have everything changed. This leads us to our third and final point this morning, God's glory is paramount in His recreation. God's glory is paramount in His recreation. God's glory is put on display in conforming us to be who He made us to be. How does He do this? Well, there's a number of ways and um, time would fail us to see all of the ways, but I just want to sample a few ways that God's glory is paramount in our lives as He is recreating us to be the worshipers who He has created us to be. First, His glory is paramount in our transformation. God's glory is paramount in our transformation. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, if you're still there, you can turn back just one page. Verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, so God's glory is at work in us as we stand with our mouths open looking and beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. And He's transforming us that we would be different people through that. And God's glory is praised Philippians, Paul prays in chapter 1 to this end. Paul says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now here's verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, this, see what this means? When, when we live out our lives doing righteous works, living righteously for the Father, this brings glory to Him. It's all for His praise, not ours. The glory belongs to Him and Him alone in our transformation. Next, see that God's glory is paramount in our proclamation. God is recreating us that we would proclaim the excellencies of His glory. His ultimate aim in us is to intensify our worship of Him. Psalm 96, verse 8, very important. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And I just want to camp out. right? Bring an offering and come into His courts. But even just that first half of that verse, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Do we understand the weight of this exhortation? Right? The psalmist wrote this, but really God wrote this. And He commands us, ascribe to me the glory that is due my name. Proclaim my glory with your lips, He says. This is so important. And our hope and our prayer ought to be that God would increasingly ignite within us a passion to praise His infinite worth. I just want to stop here and address for a moment two groups of people. And uh, first group would be um, non-Christians. And I, I know some of you in this room are, are here am, among us this morning and you are welcome to be here. We're glad you're here, but, but you don't identify as Christian. And, and some of you, maybe you do identify as Christians and you, you may also be non-Christians. I, I say that in love, okay? So hear me. But I say to the non-Christian this morning that um, you have a problem before God. Right? And, and your problem isn't that you've sinned so much that He could never possibly forgive all that you've done. That, that is not the problem. God's grace is sufficient. God can cover your sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to just come to Him and turn from your sin and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior, believing in Him. So that's not your biggest problem. Your, your biggest problem also, listen, it, it isn't that when you compare yourself to others, you're, you're better or worse than them in your own eyes. Listen, it's not that when you come to stand before the Lord God on that day, that because you're not a murderer or an adulterer, you haven't committed those heinous sins that you'll be welcomed into His presence. That is not true. Listen, you have a problem before God, and Psalm 96 verse 8 is your problem. It's in your refusal to ascribe glory to the Lord, the glory that is due His name and His name alone. This is, this is what is driving your whole life. God will hold each and every one to account that hasn't spent their life ascribing glory to Him. That is the fundamental problem in the human heart. You can fix that this morning by coming to Christ. By acknowledging that He is the Lord of glory. Come from heaven to pay the penalty for your sins. And to welcome you into His presence 
to fix the enmity that is between you and God and to give you peace in your heart. And then you can proclaim the glories due His name. All right, second group of people I want to address this morning, and this is also in love. The first was the non-Christian. Now I want to talk to the non-singing Christian. The non-singing Christian. You have a problem as well. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, so if I look at you, don't... <laughs> but I, I know there's some who are, who, are, who are not singing. And you need to take this verse seriously. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Yes, there's other ways we can do that, but the primary way we do that, especially when we gather together, is in song. When we echo the heavenly chorus and we lift our voices to God and we ascribe to Him the praise and glory that is due to His name. And if you're not doing that, then I need to just tell you again in love that there's an inconsistency in what you say you believe. And, and it doesn't matter if, if um, you, you, you say you don't have a good singing voice. That, that's not of concern to God. He wants you to ascribe to Him the glory that's due His name. It, it doesn't matter if, if this isn't your favorite style of music. Listen, you should be able to walk in to any church on any day, in any place, and if the lyrics of the song are biblical, you should be able to join the chorus of singing to God. And I just need to, you, you know who you are. If, if, you, if you say that you love Jesus Christ, and if you say that you long to ascribe glory to His name, and you come to this place, and then you don't sing, that's a problem. It's a problem. Psalm 115, verse 1 It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. It ought to be the longing of every Christian's heart to do that. Not reluctantly, not because we have to, but because it's the greatest joy of our hearts. And that's the next way that that God is working in us according to His glory. It's for our satisfaction. God's glory is seen and what satisfies our hearts. i got to share this one with you as well. Piper says that as a jigsaw puzzle piece is cut so that only one special piece fits in every place, the temple in our heart is waiting for the perfect piece of its divine counterpart, the glory of God. Just picture with me the human heart, all the affections of our inner soul, as though it were a puzzle missing the most important piece. And there's only one piece that can fit. And that piece is the acknowledgement of the glory of God alone. That's what brings us greatest satisfaction. That's what brings us greatest joy. And this is by God's design. Look on the screen, Romans 5 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared innocent by believing in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him, verse 2 says, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, this one's not up there. Listen though. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See how our joy is inseparably linked to the glory of God? But a hundred years, a little bit more after the Reformation, Uh, was birthed in Germany and and was making its way through Europe and even into Great Britain. Some men from England and and Scotland got together in Westminster and they put pen to paper and they wanted to declare some truths that they believed were from Scripture that they could 
say, marked the hallmarks of their faith. And, and truths that they could pass on to others by way of question and answer called catechisms. And, and there was a Westminster Shorter Catechism and there was a Westminster Longer Catechism. I, I want to share with you the, the very first question and answer from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Here's the question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And, and now the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. One end. Did you see that? One end, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The two go hand in glove. It's rephrased this way. God is most glorified in us. We acknowledge God's glory most when we are most satisfied in Him. So let me ask you, in your personal time with the Lord and in in your gathering together with other saints, is your highest priority seeing and joyfully responding to the infinite majesty of the glory of God? That's what God intended to be. So if I could just affect your Bible study, your personal time with the Lord and in reading His Word and in prayer, your time coming together with others, if if I could leave a mark on your life, here's what I want to, to tell you this morning. God's aim in that is to see His glory. That changes the way we open up our Bibles, doesn't it? It changes the way we, we pray. When we say, God, just like Moses, show me your glory today. Show me your glory in your Word. And bring joy to my heart. This, this is why the circumstances of our lives don't have to define us. right? Even though the trials that we go through, the suffering is hard. God's glory is greater. And the hope of the glory of God is meant to give us joy and satisfaction beyond anything else, no matter what it is we're going through in this life. All right, transformation, proclamation, satisfaction. Next, God is is demonstrating His glory in His recreation of us in our demonstration. In our demonstration. Here's what I mean by that. Our righteous living reflects the glory of God. Many of you know 1 Corinthians 10.31 so that whether you eat or drink or, or all that you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And, and this, this verse isn't about um, glorifying God in the mundane of life, which we ought to. The context of this verse says that when you're making decisions on how to glorify God by serving and loving other people, Whatever you choose, make sure it's to the glory of God. 1 Peter 4 says, When you use the gifts that God's given you through the Spirit that's within to build up the body of Christ, this shines forth the brightness of God's glory. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says of a lamp, He says, you don't, No one lights a lamp to then hide it, right? And not use its light to affect the people around it. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants to be at work in us so that we will go out into the world and shine a light for Him through what we do and what we say so that other people will look at us and not give us glory but give glory to the one to whom it is due, alone. 
So God is working. He is recreating us that we would be demonstrations of His glory. Next, God glorifies Himself in our anticipation. God's glory has everything to do with our anticipation. He has created a good work in us and He has promised to bring that good work to its completion. He's promised to finish it. We looked at John 17 earlier. Jesus goes on to pray. He says, Father, I desire that they also, those who would believe in Him, they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You've given Me because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. I hope you're seeing this morning that God's glory has everything to do with absolutely everything. And our anticipation, our looking forward into the future is us looking to see the glory of Jesus Christ. I love the song, He's coming on the clouds. You know that when we start? He's coming on the clouds. That's what He promised. I'll return. And then we'll see His glory. That's our anticipation. His glory. Titus 2.13, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Titus Paul is telling Titus how to live, and he says, and waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for. The day when we will see His glory. There's no day like it. Because there's no glory like it. There's, there's, there's so many other ways that God shows that that His glory is paramount in His recreating work in our hearts. Time would fail us to, to look at all of them. But I do just want to look at one more. And that's this. God shows forth His glory. He shows the paramounts of His glory in our participation. In our participation. One writer says this. When we speak of the gospel... We often think of the basic good news of forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And we ought to. This, this is not inaccurate, but it's helpful to also remember that the gospel message is ultimately about God's own glory and it includes all the benefits of salvation, including the goal of God's grace, the end goal of God's saving work in us. It's this, our glorification with Christ in the new creation. I, I hope that you're overwhelmed at this point. After having looked at the, the magnificent beauty, the, the shining splendor, the, the utterly incomparable worth of God's glory, and now we read that it is God's joy, His, His ultimate aim to allow us to share in that glory. Colossians 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. 1 John 3 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Not, not that we would in any way be praised as though we, the glory belonged to us. It's His glory. It's His glory alone, and yet He chooses to draw us in. 
Philippians 3, 20 and 21. I want to put these verses up. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. This is, mag- this is awesome. This is magnificent. So- Soli Deo Gloria draws us personally into the story of God's glory. We see His glory in creation, in providence, in redemption, and, and now in consummation. As we see God's desire to glorify Himself and we're swept up into Him in this plot and the finale lands us in the New Jerusalem where God is supremely glorified in our glorification, in our participation. He brings us in and allows us to share in His glory. And it's all to the praise of His glory. This is what the reformers were after. And God is in the process still to this day of reforming each and every one of us, reshaping us, recreating us, as He brings us closer and closer to that day when we will see His glory and we will marvel face to face at the Son of God who left His glory for a time to come down to this earth for us. He put His glory to the side, veiled in in humanity, subjecting Himself to death, even death on a cross. To pay for those who deserved us eternal death. Let us glory in Him this morning. Let us glory in His saving work, in His reconciliation, in His revelation, in His his recreating work in us. Let us glory in Him and in Him alone. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name.